Desperate to find parts for his ailing time machine, Danny Bennett finds himself on a strange world in an odd marketplace. Here I am on the planet Zanzibar, and the only place to get time machine parts and time chicken food. Good thing I'm loaded up with this sponsor money. Time machine parts, get your time chicken chow. There it is. Excuse me, coming through. Get your junk here. Magic beans, medieval cod pieces. Ooh, that sounds interesting. Junk, you say? Yeah, all kinds of junk and stuff. Take a look around. Ooh, yeah, I'll take this Stretch Armstrong and this black box and, ugh, peanut butter crunch. Yeah, nobody wants that. Been here forever. I can see why. Is that a French horn? Yeah, from my hippie days. One Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom lunchbox, and that ought to do it. Great. Thanks for your business. You need a bag? Yeah, that'd help. 20 bucks. For a bag? Yeah, right. For you, 50. All right, what a haul. Hmm. Maybe I forgot something. Oh, yeah. Time machine parts. Don't! Clytus, I'm bored. What plaything can you offer me today? An obscure body in the SK system, Your Majesty. The inhabitants refer to it as the Helming Power Hour. <laughs> Welcome. Welcome back. Welcome back to episode 55 of The Hailing Power Hour. And as per usual, with me in my studio of studios here on War Rocket Ajax, I have Mark Allison. Hey everybody, it is good to be here on episode 55, can you believe that, of the only show on the network that leaves nothing behind but the fresh scent of potpourri, the Hail Ming Power Hour. You might want to play it in your bathroom because it's bound to smell better. So welcome back, and here we are um, once again to bring to you a sci-fi horror classic in my mind uh, from 1992, and we are going to get into that in just a minute. But first we have to do what we got to do and get into this episode. So again, welcome back and enjoy. The Hail Ming Power Hour is brought to you by Crossroad Deals. Learn to play that guitar real good. And loyal followers of Mongo like you. Hail Ming! Well, welcome back. So that was a good little intro. Uh, what do you think about that, Mark? It moved me so much that I have literally three paces to the left now. It's true. I'm over here with him. He's three paces to the left. He's in front of the uh, escape pod now. Maybe that's not a mistake. <laughs> but anyway, welcome back. And we are here with another movie from our childhood and your future. And of course, to go to these movies, because the, the best way to do this is to get to the time of the movie, we have to use the time machine. And in order to pay for the time machine, we uh, have to have sponsors. We have to pay for that time machine because it is looking a little janky these days. It's true. I don't know where, you know, 
I think the mechanic that I sent it to was missing some parts or something. Earl, we're going to have to talk to you about that because we got to keep better maintenance on this machine here. I'm sending the Dixie checks, and you know what that means. All right, anyway. <clears throat> Is that code for something? Or... Yeah. Okay. Just focus on the word Dixie. So my first sponsor is uh, I was able to obtain a local uh, co company that makes a food uh, product called Sug Short, which is a uh, sugar shortening. The only healthy thing about the food is that it's anything but. Well, that sounds absolutely, yeah. I was able to get a new sponsor as well. This is coming to you today from Get Up and Go. It's a new lift service. It's like a cab, except instead of getting into a car with a professional driver with a reputable company who had a motor vehicle check and a complete background history done, you're getting into a car with a complete stranger because he knows you have money and are possibly drunk. Hey, you know, that might sound like a joke, but it's so close to real life. Man, so close to real life. My next, uh, don't think too much about that last one. Just give them your money because, you know, as I said before, we really need to upkeep this time machine. Money, money, money. Um, the uh, next sponsor I was able to obtain is uh, Desert Kickboxer, the only movie about the one-man fight to complete the Panama Canal. Riveting story, guys. Uh, <laughs> so, I, I got nothing. <laughs> now that we've paid for this little trip, we need to get into the vehicle for the trip. So, um, guess it's time to hit that old time machine. You ready? I think I'm about... Ow! This door handle just came off. What it's the... fine. Don't worry. We don't need door handles. It's a, it's a convertible. Just hop in the top. Okay, but remember what happened when you stuck your hand out last time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was a mistake. I readily admit that. So, we are going back today to... 1992. 1992. I'll plug it in right here in 1992. Tour. And here we go. Alright, yeah. So, seems to be running like. Okay. Is just the clip looking a little weird for you? Oh! Ow, that, that's fine, it's fine. just barf? Yeah, I've never seen a time chicken barf before, but yeah, what is this? This isn't 1992. But yeah, this doesn't look right here. What's going on? It's It's been raining for a while, like maybe 40 days and 40 nights or something. Yeah, Check your cell phone. What does it say about the weather? I don't have it. I don't have any service. Yeah, neither do I. Hey, look, look on the panel over there. It says 2008X. What? 2008X? Yeah. What's the X for? I don't know. This this doesn't look like 2008 either, and I would have service if it was 2008. Uh, I mean, let me let me see if there's anything on the computer here about. Well, I can't really get. This looks like a Commodore. 64 screen. What's going on? Uh, you know, I'll, I'll just. Uh, hey, look, there's a phone over there. It's a, it's like a payphone. Yeah, uh, I haven't seen one of those in a while. It's got a credit card swiper. It does. What is going on here? Oh my goodness. What? We're in the alternate 2008. Oh no. <laughs> we're in the 2008 of the movie that we're covering. We just went into split second 2008. Yeah, now the rain, the uh, the, the hokey uh, uh, payphone. Yeah, what? it all checks out. Man, no wonder Super Cluck isn't feeling good. We got into an alternate timeline. Well, you know, um, hey, there's no better place to talk about Split Second, though, than in the world of Split Second. Yeah, I guess you got a point there. Well, on the upside, we were able to get a synopsis done for Split Second before we arrived. I uh, haven't heard it myself, but we've got it loaded up here, so let's go ahead and listen to the synopsis for our movie this week, Split Second. Hello, this is Sean Connery. Blah, blah, blah. What's that? You want me to do a synopsis for the movie? Which one? Blah, blah, blah. Split Second. Ah, yes, I know that one. Blah, blah, blah. No, you don't need to send me a script. I know all about this. It's one of my favorite movies. Here we go. Split second. 
1953, starring Stephen McNally, Alexis Smith, and Jan Sterling, with director Dick Powell. Sam Hurley, nation's number one killer, with a cold contempt for heroes, escapes prison with companions and takes a mixed bag of hostages to a Nevada ghost town, Lost Hope City. He knows they won't be found there because the atom bomb test is planned for the next morning. Relationships shift, tensions build as Hurley keeps the others in suspense as to whether he will let them escape before the bomb goes off. What's that? You mean it's not the right movie? I know Split Second, that's one of my favorites. 1992 Split Second. Who's in that? Rudger Hauer and Kim Cattrall. What's it about? Cops and Monsters? No, I'm not doing that one. No, find somebody else to do the synopsis. I read mine. Bye. Thank you, Sean. That was useless. So here we go. Into split second. Mark, I'm going to ask you, what is the first reason to watch the 1992 Rudger Hauer monster sci-fi murder mystery movie split second? I'd say the first reason and the best reason, maybe even the only reason, Detective Dick Durkin. <laughs> yeah, that's definitely true. He's a He's an Irish detective, um, along with the American detective uh, on the London police force. Uh, actually, he's Scottish. Is he Scottish? He oh, you're right. You're right. You're right. Yeah. But he's a Celt, so you know he's representing. <laughs> I don't know why I thought Irish. I think uh, I think he said he went to school in Edinburgh. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, you're right. You're right. Yeah, he is a uh, very capable, intelligent detective. He's Ivy League educated. He's uh, been around the world. He's an expert on criminology and mass murder. Really the the heart and the soul and the brains behind this story. I call it the Cato effect, where the sidekick of the movie is actually more capable and a better character than the hero of the story. Yeah, and on that note, I think I will bring up the hero of the story, played by Rudger Hauer, with all the personality of the Hitcher, is, um, is Harley Stone who is a detective only in name. Uh, and, you know, look, I'm ripping on the guy, but it's just because he has a really bad personality and he doesn't do much detective work. But I think that's part of the story is that he has been wrought with these uh, emotional difficulties since he became uh, psychically connected with a uh, serial killing monster creature. He plays an atypical American super cop. So if you've seen Pretty much any action movie that revolves around a police officer, you know about this character. As Danny mentioned, yes, he is filled with this psychological trauma, which uh, is supposed to make you very sympathetic to the character, but you don't realize that until the very end of the movie, and until then, he's just a jerk. It's true, and you know, I, I think I've got a clip here of uh, from the movie where they, they give the uh, ever-present, uh, he's the best at what he does line. Just, you know, to, to kind of excuse his behavior the best way he does. Get the clip right here. Now he lives on anxiety, coffee, and chocolate. If you ask me, he's nuts. That's what the doctors say. Here, read the file. He's worked in every hellhole in the world and been fired from all of them. They say he's the best. He is. And there's a whole lot of best of what they do out there, aren't there? <laughs> Yeah, and they don't seem to be able to do it until the end of the movie, yeah. strangely enough. So the next reason I've got is special effects. I mean, there are several um, hearts ripped out of chests in this, which, you know, are really good practical effects. And they're, they're pretty gory, but they really add the danger of the creature that's committing these murders. And it, they're, they're done well. I agree. There's a lot of very good practical special effects. The monster that's in the movie, which uh, you don't actually even know that there's a monster until halfway through it. When you finally get to see the parts of them you get to see, they're done really well. Splatter effects are shocking because they look, they look good. True, and you know, to that point, I think they realized that the monster was a selling point to the point that it's on the cover of the movie. You know, you don't see it that much in the movie until the end, you know, kind of in a monster movie uh, trope. But 
it's right there on the cover of the disc, so you know what it looks like. That's true. When I wanted to get a better idea of the monster, it wasn't from watching the movie. It was from uh, looking up promotional shots in the cover of the box. Uh, kind of like Alien, they show the monster less to get more effect out. And I think I would be lax to say, uh, to go any further without saying, that this movie is definitely a movie in fast forward. You can be hanging out with friends and have it on the TV and you're not really missing much. There's some forced dialogue, there's some cheesiness. In my memory, it was a real fun romp. Uh, but in re-observation, it definitely uh, came across as kind of forced, kind of hokey. Uh, dialogue is bad. We said the uh, the protagonist is kind of unlikable, but there are definitely some shining moments, and that's what we're going to be outlining today. And the good news at this time here, uh, this movie is available on YouTube, so you can sit down, take a look at it, won't cost you anything, and you can jump around to these good points that we mentioned. Uh, things seem to be dragging, and they will in the beginning. You can just skip over to some of the more interesting parts of the movie. So, the next reason I've got on my list of reasons is unobservant cops. There's a point where, you know, a, a heart has been ripped from a victim and the heart is delivered to the police station in a great big metal cooler. The <laughs> And the cops in the, uh, the station, hey, did anybody see who delivered this? No, no, I didn't see you. Did you see anything? No, I didn't see anything. Nobody saw anything. So a fellow police officer that works with Officer Stone, who does not like him, and justifiably does not care for him. And he keeps ripping on him and saying, What, you having your lunch delivered now? In this gigantic metal box that I believe had biohazard warnings on it. <laughs> right. It's cold. Oh, like for cold beers? Yeah, it's um, it's pretty ridiculous. And they're trying to make the, the guy into kind of his foil. But really, I, I think watching it, Mark and I agreed that it, uh, that he was really just kind of a jerk, and the guy was trying to be a good coworker to somebody he didn't like, rightfully. True. If I went to a job and somebody beat me up for no reason, I probably wouldn't like him either. They say he's the best, Mark. That's what I hear, and they're right. <laughs> so, at this point, I think you can watch it, but you might be well served to fast forward to the second murder where Dick Durkin is helping out uh, Harley Stone, who he brings a lot of humanity to this investigation, plus he brings investigation to this investigation because he's actually trying to figure something out, not just running around trying to get bigger guns until later. Um, and there is actually a Zodiac sign that appears in the second murder that is a tie-in for the entire plot of the movie. You will know who Detective Dick Durkin is because he will always introduce himself. <laughs> He flashes his badge and says, Detective Dick Durkin, to everybody. And why wouldn't you? I mean, you're Detective Dick Durkin. I mean, it's it's a name fresh out of Garth Marenghi. There's a few fresh out of Garth Marenghi moments in here. Absolutely. Like I said, the, uh, the dialogue's kind of forced, and it ended up kind of sounding humorous. I will say my next reason for watching this movie is the Telltale Heart. When they are looking for the creature, or for the killer, not aware it's a monster there is a heartbeat sound that happens every time the monster is near and it seems that only uh, Rudger Howard can hear this heartbeat so every time a murder is about to happen or the monster is nearby you hear this thump 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 and it's really an eerie effect and but it's not a very useful psychic ability to hear the killer's heartbeat because he doesn't really find the killer until the murders have already happened. Right, right. I said it was kind of like if he had wished to a genie to be the best detective by always being at the scene of the crime and the genie was like, yeah, you will be, but you won't get there in time to actually stop the crime. Hence being a better detective because you know, there's got to be a crime in order for you to uh, solve it, right? It's okay if he's not the best at solving crimes, because he has Detective Dick Durkin on his side. And speaking of Detective Dick Durkin, my next reason is Detective Dick Durkin's Muscle Man keychain. There's a scene where uh, you know Harley asks him for his keys so he can be a jerk and drop them in the water. Because if I didn't mention, there's a 40 days and 40 nights of rain, so every scene is kind of... Um, 
soggy and sodden with water, and uh, you know they're all walking around and wasted. Right, like eight inches of water, and they all have galoshes. And you know, uh, Harley Stone has these warrior boots that look like they're they're waterproof. But um, he asks him for his keys, and Detective Dick Durkin comes out with uh, with this little muscle man keychain. That's pretty pretty awesome. It looks like a oh Hulk Hogan that you'd win at a carnival. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it does. It's good stuff. <laughs> so once again, speaking of Detective Dick Durkin. My next reason for watching this movie would have to be Kim Cattrall. Absolutely, yeah. Um, I think you know Kim Cattrall's got some black hair and a cool little shaved side haircut. Yeah, I called it the Vulcan haircut. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I cannot disagree. This is Kim Cattrall at her apex. She was in a lot of movies. She was really pretty, and she brings a lot to this movie. Like she's one of the three main characters in this movie, and uh, and I'm glad she's there. She's a very uh, calming uh, moments in the movie where, you know, you've got uh, Detective Stone, who is, you know, straight out of a super cop trope magazine, firing his guns at everything. You have uh, Dick Durkin, um, master detective, putting everything together. And she comes in and she plays the love interest of Rudger Howard's character, who's very, very calming and very nurturing and understanding of the trauma that Stone has gone through because they have had this affair together in the past. She was actually married to his best friend, who was also his partner. And once his partner died, he basically lost his mind and it affected everything in his heart and in his relationships and in his profession until he just couldn't take it anymore and so she has every reason in the world to hate this man but she comes from this place of understanding and caring and wants to see him get better yeah and it actually feeds into one of the theories that i developed near the end of this movie where i think that maybe just maybe there was no monster and uh stone was just crazy and he drove the other people crazy. And when he drove them crazy, they could see what he was seeing. Now, there were murders. There were things that were um, addressed by the other cops. You know, there was lab results and stuff like that. So there was actually murder happening. But I think maybe the monster could, it could be argued that it was actually a psychological manifestation of something in Stone's head that he just convinced the other two people of. Just because, watch it. Watch it with that in mind. Or just watch the highlights with that in mind. You'll see it. That's a fun theory. I'm I'm going to maybe look back at this and, and just figure out if I can tell whether or not anybody else can pick up on the monster or not. I don't think that's what the filmmakers had in mind, but it's an interesting way to look at it. Yeah, I mean, it might just be fun for you if you have some extra time and you're watching it on YouTube. Just kind of think about it. What if they're just going crazy together? Um, my next reason for watching it, there's a, there's a scene in the London Necropolis that's pretty awesome. Like, I don't know if this place actually exists. Maybe while we're here in alternate 2008, we'll check it out, except it will exist here, alternate 2008. Um, I'm not gonna dwell on that though. It's a neat little uh, introduction scene for Kim Cattrall's character. Um, and I'm just gonna move on to, they continue on from the Necropolis to uh, Harley Stone's apartment, which is a reason to watch the movie. It's, it's full of motorcycle parts and candles and chocolate and coffee, and it's got pigeons living in it. And uh, it's just ridiculous. When Kim Cattrall comes into this guy's apartment for the very first time, the look on her face that just says, hey, I am in a bachelor pad of a 30-something-year-old man in a 14-year-old boy's ego. It's just, uh, she plays it really well. <laughs> Absolutely. It's a, it's a reason to watch the movie. I mean, it's, it's ridiculous, but... When I saw this as a high schooler, I think it probably was, oh, look at this guy. He's so cool, you know? Yeah, well, when you're in high school, you want to, you know, wear the, the black leather and have the shades and not clean up your room and have random critters living in it. So, yeah, I can understand why in high school that seemed awesome. And existing on, you know, no sleep, coffee, and chocolate. And, and you know, one of the other things about him is, you know, everybody's like, Oh, well, after the incident, he ended up with the anxiety disorder. And it, they kind of use it as a catch-all to explain everything that's wrong with him. And, you know, he'll, he'll take long gaps to, to 
deal with the anxiety disorder. And I'm not saying the anxiety doesn't exist by any long shot. I'm just saying that they kind of, they kind of cheese it out in kind of a kindergartner's understanding of a, uh, of an anxiety problem. At one point, while they're in the far off future of 2008, uh, he goes to the future to tech coffee machine and pours the sugar into his cup and fills half the cup up with sugar and then pours the hot water into it so yeah he's he's living the adolescent boy's dream there well there are no parents to tell him not to and there's no partner anymore either because his partner got sucked under the water you know while they were routinely investigating an alley full of water for some reason That was in the uh, that was in the prelude to the flashbacks, where really they just kind of introduced the character Foster, and then he disappears, and then the guy wakes up. Like, oh, good, there will be flashbacks, yeah, and you can tell it's a flashback because it's in black and white and has an echo. Yeah, <laughs> it could be a dream too. Isn't you dreaming? Anyway, there was no dwarf in it, so it wasn't a dream. Gotcha. So you know, here we are. Uh, there have been a couple of killings. I. I tell you, you fast forward to the to the killing with the Zodiac sign. You watch a little bit of Dick Durkin because he's fun to watch. You go to Harley's uh, uh, meeting Kim Cattrall at the, uh, the the Necropolis, and then on to his his bachelor pad. And then um, you know you kind of can go ahead and fast forward on to back to the police station, where um, you know the cops are kind of doing a good job of actually investigating some evidence, and that leads uh, Harley Stone to. Uh, attack one of them viciously while asking why don't you uh why did you report me to medical <laughs> and i do have a uh, audio clip of the assault in question where harley stone decides to show everyone in the police precinct exactly why they don't like him where's the report from the lab on your desk what'd you find out read the report what did you find out Traces of leptospirectorum. What? That's the rat virus that causes Viles disease. Any fingerprints? Just one set. Did you bring him in? No. Why not? Because they were Fosters. Hmm? Your old partner, my best friend, you remember him? Get your hands off me. Do you want to tell me why you turned me in for a medical? Yeah. You really want to know? Tell me. Not because you caused the death of your best friend. Not because you ran away with his wife. Not because you then dumped her. No, but because you're past it, Stone. You're a liability. You're a pen menace. Stone, get your hands off him. Yeah, maybe the reason he reported you for uh, medical for some kind of psychological evaluation is because you're beating people up who are trying to do their job. <laughs> I think so. So uh, anyway... Fast forward to those points, watch this part of it. We're gonna come back in a few minutes with some epic movie moments. Actually, just one epic movie moment full of many key points. Yes, it's an epic movie moment with many subcategories, so we'll talk about those. Right, but for now, enjoy these skits and other sundry things. In the movie Split Second, there is a character that we mentioned several times, Detective Dick Durkin. I've put together a little medley of Dick Durkin moments and introductions. Hope you enjoy. Detective Dick Durkin. Detective Dick Durkin. Call me, Dick. Detective Dick Durkin. Durkin. You're sick. What's this? Books. Paranormal psychology. Astrology. The occult. Read them all? Last night, after sex. Durkin, stick with him. I'm Durkin. Sir? Watch your ass. I'm working with a guy called Harney. You think that's funny? <laughs> What's so great about Dick Durkin? Hurry up, Durkin. We haven't been introduced. Dick Durkin. What? Dick. Michelle. Once again, the black mask power prevails over you. Yes, Detective Dick Durkin and his psychic sidekick Harley Stone can relax for a moment before they are called forth once more to do battle with the forces of darkness. Durkin! Shut up! 
every morning and gets laid every night. This bad mother is out of sight. He's large and in charge, the man with the plan. Ain't no stopping the Scottish Superman. You think you can beat him? You think you know a trick? I'm here to tell you, you don't know dick. Who's the black private dick that's a sex machine to all the chicks? Dick. You're damn right. Who is the man that would risk his neck for his brother man? Dick. Can you dig it? Who's the cat that walk about when there's danger all about? Dick. Right on. They say this cat Dick. Out is a bad mother. I'm talking about Dick. He's a complicated man, but no one understands him but his woman. Skits were dynamite. Dynamite. <laughs> so anyway, here we go. We're back to the movie. And uh, in case you forgot, make sure you watch that uh, second murder. Because the first one's just kind of an establishment thing with the heartbeat. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense. And then you've got the cops who are subsequently good and bad at their job. And then you've got the jerk in charge. And you've got Detective Dick Durkin. Um, and Kim Cattrall. So you're not missing anything. If you just kind of don't pay attention, you focus in on those few things and you say, oh, what fun. And uh, yeah, go ahead. Just say when you uh, see Rutger Hauer on screen with all by himself in his leather trench coat, feel free to fast forward to that. As soon as he gets around, you know, people like Dick Durkin and uh, Michelle, who's Kim Cattrall's character, go ahead and slow it down and start watching those. With that in mind, I think that'll lead us into our newest segment on the show, Epic Movie Moments. Movie 
stuff. That gets me every time. <laughs> yeah, that's that's good stuff. So we're moving into the epic movie moment. So you're watching this now. You're not just following our plot synopsis, which is body at best. And you're realizing that they're figuring out that there's a creature. You're figuring out that it's coming back for the heart of its latest victim in the morgue. Up to this point, they've been tracking down the killer and they've been putting together that it actually is a monster. Uh, they had a mold made from a, a heart that it had eaten, the one they had delivered to the station, and saw it had these huge monster fangs. They're talking about how the monster kills their victims and eats their hearts. Durkin makes an offhanded comment saying, well, we got a small victory, but he didn't get the heart of the last victim. And then Harley Stone does the one and only piece of detective work he does in the entire movie. So when they realize that the monster didn't get the heart that it wanted, that it would be going to the morgue in order to get it. Detective Dick Durkin and Harley Stone, they decide to go to the morgue to try and track down the monster, and they run into someone there. We have an audio clip from that right now. The movie attacked! What are you eating? Durkin. He works here. Oxford. Yes. Sorry. Anytime. So it's right after this scene that they actually do find the monster in the morgue and they try to take it down. After attempting to, Durkin starts losing it and he realizes that the guns they have are too small to take down this monster. That's going to lead to this next audio clip that we have for you. We can pick a gun so in this moment in this epic movie moment you have detective stone has an epiphany in the elevator check we have a future morgue with ziploc corpses check we have the stalking of the monster through a maze of dead bodies check we have shooting the monster through those dead bodies check we have demanding a morgue attendant to tell him what he's eating for lunch at gunpoint because he thinks he's the monster eating a heart. Check. We have a gigantic metal door that has been ripped open like nothing. Check. We have Durkin, who just saw the monster realizing that the guns they're using are just too effing small. Check. Detective Dick Durkin having a mental breakdown, and he does it even better than Detective Stone. Check. And we have an epic visit to the police department's arsenal because the monster requires an army's worth of firepower. Check. These are the things that made up the epic movie moment that spans roughly from when they get in the elevator, figure out that it's a monster, go to the morgue, figure out the monster can bust through big metal doors, and then gear up to go take him down. So all together, this is what makes this scene an epic movie moment. wrenching I'll never get used to it so moving on from that so now we have the detectives on the trail of an actual monster and we have the lady love at home and she's going to be uh, you know kind of sought by this monster because of its connection but really we're coming up to the uh, to the nitty-gritty now we actually have uh, the enemy in sight and the good guys have geared up and now they're gonna go try and take it down this is where the movie really starts getting interesting there. We took a while to get there, but that's why this is moving and fast forward. You just jump to the good parts. That's right. And jump into the good parts of split second and fast forward and split forward with fast second is the way that you have to watch this uh, sci-fi horror movie because, you know, like some of it's forced, some of the characters are a little canned, but it's okay. 
it's fun. So with that in mind, we're going into the home stretch and I, I can't go forward without mentioning the rat catcher guy. He is a wonderful character played by a wonderful actor. Um, they have to go find where the monster lives. They know he's underground in the sewers and so there's only one person they can trust to get him down there safely and that's the rat catcher. Yeah, so there's this guy that um, ostensibly works for the uh, the government, you know, trying to control vermin. He's got an office full of upside down hanging rats and a couple of silent partners who, uh, uh, I guess he just gets off the street and then sends down to go get rats and pays them in torches or something. I don't know what's going on there. But, uh, you know, the, the guy uh, played by Michael J. Pollard, who you'd remember from uh, Scrooge, is one of the homeless guys. He was Dolph Lundgren's informant in uh, I Come in Peace. Uh, he's in the movie Roxanne. Um, he's been in a ton of stuff. He's one of those guys that you'll recognize him as soon as you see him. Yeah, a lot like Bob the Joker's goon from uh, from from Drive. Um, <laughs> <clears throat> so you know we're moving into the the home stretch here, and the rat catcher points out that there's a tunnel that he sent guys down, and they never came back years ago. So they say, hey, take us down there. They got these guns from the uh, the arsenal. They're they're um, basically fully automatic uh, shotguns, and uh, they're ready to take this thing down to the ground with Uncle Gaspacho. And I'd be remiss to uh, not mention one of the reasons uh, they need a rat catcher is because the uh, city's been flooded and it's driven all the rats up into the street. As part of that, you find out in the story that the monster he's actually been collecting the DNA of all of its victims. So when they run a DNA trace on the evidence they find, they find out it has the DNA of all the people it's killed, it has the DNA of rats that it's been eating, and it has the DNA of our hero, Detective Stone, because it scratched him and took his DNA as well. Right, right, and so at this point too, um, uh, Michelle gets bitten and uh, Dirk gets uh, this uh, emblem scratched into his chest, and they all have these wounds from the creature, which give them all the psychic connection with the monster. Again, kind of fortifying that they're the only three who can see it, uh, kind of in their head thing that I was thinking. Durkin puts all this information together, and even while he's going through this traumatic breakdown, he's still a great detective. I think we actually have an audio clip of him bringing this stuff together. Right, and determining that the killer is the devil. Thing, just like the sum total of every serial killer I've studied. A single organism made up of multiple DNA structures. As if someone took every serial killer and rolled it into one incredible being. What the hell are you doing with those things? Who authorized this? Why didn't I think of that before? What? 2578. 25th year, 78 cycle. The Chinese calendar, 2008 now, this year. What are you on about? 2008 is the year. The rat. What the hell are you yeah. talking about? An inverted triangle. Inverted triangle is not only a symbol of evil, it also represents water. Hey, Stan, what the hell have you done to him? He's what sounding about, like you. What about the circle? The circle is the sign of magic and power. Everything inside the circle is protected from the outside. Hello? Hello? Will somebody please tell me what the hell's going on here? Scorpio is the sign most susceptible to the powers of darkness. To Scorpio, the idea of being joined with a supernatural being is of the utmost importance. And the most powerful supernatural being, Satan. What are you on about? When chaos reigns, then will the fallen angel prevail. What the fuck is he talking about? Look around. The world's in chaos. I don't believe this. He's eating human hearts, for Christ's sake. How do you know? We had lunch with him. Cannibals ate the hearts of their enemies to gain possession of their souls. It obviously believes that if it eats its victims' hearts, it not only gains their power and their DNA, it also gains their souls. Are you telling me? There's something running around loose in this city, ripping the hearts out of people and eating them, so they can take their souls back to hell. Looks that way. You don't get much worse than the devil, I tell you. <laughs> That's right. So, you know, it's been raining for 40 days and 40 nights. It's the uh, 2008, the Chinese year of the rat that, uh, you know, Dirk figures out because he's uh, he's an excellent detective. And also, it, it's the devil that's been killing people. I mean, how much worse can it get? That's a good scene, too, because uh, Durkin and Stone kind of go back and forth like uh, Adam West Batman and Batman and Robin 
trying to figure out a crime there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they do. And yeah, it, the the chemistry between the characters gets much better because you know now uh, Rutger Howard is able to do something other than just be a complete jackass to everybody. And uh, so he actually has some people he can deal with. And it makes it a lot more watchable. So, you know, you can fast forward to this. You can enjoy. There's a, a part where uh, Michelle is being suspended over a circle of light. And they figure out that it's a, it's a circle of protection and they can't enter the circle. So she's got to get herself out. And then Rudger Hauer has a, a showdown with the monster in an old subway car. Speaking of Michelle, uh, I think we should also mention real quick. Just want to throw it in there. There was a really good scene with Kim Cattrall uh, when they go home to Detective Stone's apartment. I know we're jumping around, I apologize, but hey, that's how you watch this movie. <laughs> that's how you do it. <laughs> They've gone home, they're figuring out their battle plan. Stone opens up his refrigerator and there's a human heart in there that was just left by the demon. Uh, the demon is actually really smart, and unpredictable in this movie. He uses weapons, he's toying with the, the people, and uh, so they find this heart. Joan actually tells him not to touch it, then picks it up and throws it out the window, because, you know, who needs detective work? Yeah, and he's a jerk, right? We've yeah. established that. Exactly. Um, but then they go into the bathroom, because there's uh, some flooding coming from there, and they find Kim Cattrall in the bathtub, traumatized by what she had found in the refrigerator. It's actually a really well-done dramatic scene. Yeah, it's, it's like a Lady Macbeth thing. She's uh, she's washing her hands because she touched it. And uh, yeah, I, I agree. It's it's, uh, it's one of those those moments that you see and, you, and it really brings the, the gravity of the, of the horrific situation to light. Um, and yeah, one of the other thing I was gonna mention as a reason to watch the movie is that one of the characters gets shot out of a window with a shotgun being toted by the devil. Pretty good stuff. So they've been able to track down the monster to the sewers. They find it in its lair. They almost literally stumble over the monster. <laughs> like uh, Danny was saying, they find uh, the Michelle character hanging uh, from a rope tied up with this uh, beam of light coming down on her in a circle. And Rudger Howard's about to run over and rescue her, and Durkin's like, no, don't break the circle of light, because whatever's in the circle is protected. It's just a great moment where you really see everything starting to come together. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I think it's important to say that at the end part here, there's a showdown between the main character and the monster, and it's, it's, a, it's a fight to the death, but again... There are only the three crazies that see it, and they're all alone under the ground. And they blow this thing up, and they shoot this thing, and really, other than each other, nobody sees the wounds that it's put to them. Nobody sees anything. So I'm still kind of saying, watch it. Try and figure out if it's really happening, or if it's just the three of them being crazy. And with that in mind, when they do actually get to the point where they kill the monster, they've shot it. A lot. They've uh, tracked it down. They've electrocuted it. They've blown it up, uh, and it keeps coming at them until Rutger Hauer does an epic palm thrust into its chest and removes its heart with his hand. And so, yeah, I guess that kind of does go to your theory there, where it's like, if all these guns couldn't take it down, how could you just reach into his chest and pull out his heart? Right. It's almost like he wasn't there. So you know. Anyway, just a thought. Maybe that'll bring some enjoyment to it. Maybe it won't. Maybe you guys can bring up uh, issues. There's also one of those, the killings are in a pattern that follows the Scorpio symbol. There, there's a couple of fun things in the movie that I remember being really neat when I watched it. But ultimately, you can miss more than half this movie, and it's just as much fun. We did talk about the uh, effects earlier, and there was a really good effect in this scene, where um, Stone, who we've established is not the smartest man on the planet there, is standing in front of a dark door. You're in a horror movie. You, you don't go exploring the strange noise in the dark room. He stands in front of it, turns his back on it for some reason, and this giant hand with these huge claws comes out over his head and takes off the glasses he's wearing with these huge nails with hooks on the end of them. 
is a really creepy, well-done sequence. I agree, yeah. I mean, that whole last sequence is worth watching. You know, it's what the whole movie builds up to. It follows the whole horror movie formula of uh, don't show the monsters till the end. And I think it, it serves it well. Um, and I think what we need to get into now, though, to complete this circle is top five lines. All right, my first line, and I will bring them to you here, stereoscope, through my uh, special modulator that can record and play back. I know that you guys have never heard anything like that before, but it's Mongo Tech, y'all. Um, and my first line is uh, is the aforementioned "cold enough for beers" line, where the uh, the cop that doesn't like Harley, you know, is accusing him of having a uh, picnic and having it delivered to his desk there at the police precinct, and it goes like this. Having your own booze delivered now? Don't touch it. Where did you get this? Somebody just wheeled it in. Who did? I don't know. Did anybody see who delivered this? Nobody? Don't. It's cold. What? Cold enough to be full of beers? Wow. I I'm kind of digging that Mongo tech there. I mean, that's the greatest thing I've seen since IOL. Instant on lighting. Hail Ming. Yeah, nice. I, I couldn't live without it, to be honest. My first top five line is a little back and forth between Dick Durkin and Detective Stone when Dick Durkin finds out Detective Stone's first name. And it sounds like this. Harley. Harley. I'm working with a guy called Harley. You think that's funny? <laughs> What's so great about Dick Durkin? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, the, the the chemistry between them when they finally start to talk and they try to and they stop trying to make one of them into a goofball and the other one into too cool for school. The movie gets much better at that point. My next line comes again from Dick Durkin, Detective Dick Durkin, where uh, he's asked, "Do you think the thing's dead?" And he says, "Well, existentially, you know." And he starts into this tirade to, to which he gets shot down, and it goes something like this one: "Is it dead?" Durkin. Uh, that's a difficult question to answer with a simple yes or no. Philosophy of death is one of my hobbies. Existentially, um... Durkin! Tell me later. I'll tell you later. So my next line takes place in Detective Stone's apartment, where they're trying to track down the monster. One of them goes one way, one of them goes the other way. Stone hears gunfire in his kitchen, and he goes back to investigate, and this is what they say. What are you doing? It was a rat. So I shot it. You shot my kitchen. That's what. I missed the rat. What? This one? Cool. And the last two lines that we've got for you kind of go together. You know, it's kind of an introduction and then a, uh, a completion. And the first one is a conversation that takes place between Harley Stone and Detective Dick Durkin uh, about Detective Dick Durkin's very promiscuous sex life. Right after I run. You what? Run. Five miles every morning. What's the matter? You don't get laid? Yeah. Every night. You get laid every night and you run five miles every morning? Yeah. Except Sundays. My girlfriend and I stay in bed and, you know, fool around. Durkin. That's disgusting. And from there, Detective Stone questions him on whether or not he was telling the truth after Durkin starts breaking down mentally. So it sounds like this. Another one. Did you see its eyes? All I saw was this. Dead. Huge thing. How are you feeling? You okay? On edge? Yeah, good. Have one of these. Dave, you really get laid every night? Yeah. 
That's good stuff. And you know, I just have to add a caveat. I didn't say promiscuity. I think that means, you know, a lot of sex. But I think we've established that Detective Dick Durkin's a good guy and he's not cheating on his wife. So promiscuous in a monogamous kind of way. We're just establishing that uh, Detective Dick Durkin is the most amazing man on the planet. He's smart. He's professional. He's capable. He's bulletproof. He can fly. Scottish men can do anything. If you don't believe that, just check out one of the 50,000 podcasts that Duncan McLeish does. That's a good point. That's a good point. And, you know, I'm just going to add to Detective Dick Durkin, and there, nobody needs to, to toot Duncan McLeish's horn, because that horn's going all the time. But I'm going to say that of Detective Dick Durkin, even today, I'd have his babies. I'm not sure if it really qualifies, but we're going to do this just in case, just to be on the safe side. Hail Ming. That's fair. So again, we've gone through the whole thing for you. We've showed you the highlights that you need to check out. It's a fun movie. It's a bad movie, but it's also a good movie. If you can understand that, then you are definitely in the right place here on Hail Ming Power Hour. And I'm just going to say that we're going to end it off with an audio clip, which is Detective Dick Durkin narrating the end of their adventure while they're on a boat speeding into the waters uh, unknown with uh, Michelle and Harley Stone. I don't know where they're going, but here's what it sounds like. Something like this. Once again, the Black Mask power prevails over evil. Yes, Detective Dick Durkin and his psychic sidekick Harley Stone can relax for a moment before they are called forth once more to do battle with the forces of darkness. Durkin! Shut up! Okay, I think it's about time we give this thing a rating. What do you say? Yeah, it's always good to give it a rating, and I think I will give this four human hearts on a plate in somebody's refrigerator. I almost did that exact same one there. So uh, since, since I can't do a human heart, I'll just do four Kim Cattrall's in the shower. Yeah, yeah, there was only one, but it could have done with four. That's for damn sure. Right, okay, so Ryan Blessed. What do you say? Give me the remote control. I think he was he was whipping somebody in that clip. <laughs> well, I think he just wanted to fast forward to the good parts. So he wanted the remote control. <laughs> That's why Brian came with us. He's a, a bird of a feather, right, big guy? <laughs> well, who wants to live forever? <laughs> wow, Santa? <laughs> yes. <laughs> you didn't say which big guy. Ho 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 ho. Anyway, so that's the rating, and, and we need to do our almost newest segment, or maybe the newest segment along with the other new segments, Remake or No. That's right, we're going to have Remake or No coming up next, so make sure to stick around. So that's the idea, Chief. We take the same movie you loved as a kid, and we add a whole bunch of special effects and make it even better. What do you think? No. Okay, so on Split Second here, which was a fun movie, but I think we can both agree was not a good movie. I think that uh, this is a one that we could probably improve upon things. I think Danny would agree with me. How do you think we would uh, improve on this one? Well, I, th I think it... I think if it remained gritty, you know, if it, if it continued to be like a cop drama and it didn't become an epic, you know, huge lots of devils coming to kill people or anything where they got crazy on the special effects. I think if they kept it true to it just being a monster movie with a detective, they could improve on it. And I said this during the movie. I think if they made the protagonist female, then she might be more sympathetic. Something about him trying to be cool and vulnerable at the same time because he shared a mind with the killer and had to kind of experience the killer, that making it a tough female character might make them more sympathetic. I do like that idea. I agree we shouldn't add too much of special effects, have like a thousand monsters coming out. You just need the one, especially one this creepy and cool. Uh, also, kind of keep Dick Durkin right where he's at. You don't need to improve on that character. You just need to make your main character more likable. Yeah, and you know, I, I do think that, um, you know, on the point of having a million monsters or whatever, I think keeping it, the idea that it's just a a cop who's fighting a monster who turns out to be the devil 
and there's no overarching, you know, the world's going to end. It, it's implied that the devil has some kind of design, but it's not really overdone where, you know, you, you see the uh, minions of hell waiting at some gate or something. It's just this guy is haunted by the devil in this, this esoteric mystery murder. And it's just, it's a neat thing, and I think they could do a lot with it. And maybe, throwing your idea out there, kind of keep it vague on whether or not it's actually happening or not. If it's just these three people that seeing the monster, then maybe, yeah, they could play with the psychological aspect of, is there a monster, or are these people crazy? So I think that we have overwhelmingly determined that this is ripe for a remake. So our vote for remake or no goes to... All right, so now we've got our rating, we've got our remake or no, and we have told you all there is to know, or at least the most important parts about Split Second. And here in uh, 2008X, it's uh, it's looking a little rough, so I think we're going to head back. Yeah, I've uh, I've given Supercluck some tums, and I've rubbed his belly, and I, I think we're going to be able to make it home. Yeah, I wonder what happened to that, uh, that time chicken food that I got. You know, I... I I'm sure it's around here somewhere. Anyway, we're just going to uh, to say to you guys, listening to us, thank you again for being our audience. Uh, always be sure to, to throw us a line. Let us know what we're doing right. Let us know what we're doing wrong. All that stuff. And make sure also to listen to the other podcasts on the Legion Podcast Network because they are our community and there's some great entertainment to be found. We appreciate everybody who's tuning in, who's enjoying the show. Like Danny said, let us know what you think, because this show is about you guys. We want to know what you like, what you don't like, and because we're here to entertain you. And I want to wish everybody out there happy holidays. We enjoy this uh, very holiday-esque movie that we just reviewed here. <laughs> so full of love and joy. <laughs> and remember the love and joy, love and joy. Of the London detective with a good friend. Hail Ming. Anyway, again, make sure you check us out on SoundCloud, on Legion Podcasts. Those are the two places I'm putting it up there now, but we'll find other venues. And if there's one that works best for you, make sure to let me know, and I'll make sure to put it up there. And uh, if you have a podcast you want us to check out, throw it out there. We might enjoy what you have to do. It seems like we all kind of share a collective mind on the kind of movies we enjoy. So, without... Anything else? Mark, you got something? No. Until next time, I'm Mark. And I'm Danny. And we're Hailming Power Hour. What does the future hold? Is it the end of times? Forty days and forty nights of rain, punctuated by a beast of ancient power, killing to complete a ritual and bring about pain and suffering? Does it hold something else? How about friendship? Friendship can blossom and best even the most diabolical opponent. And that sounds like a future I can believe in. Remember, everyone, actions speak louder than catchphrases. Good night. Members of the audience will receive the following. Classic Curves by Biddos, The Pants for Feel Good Company. A gift certificate from Maru-Chan Ramen Noodles. Rice-A-Roni. All guests receive a copy of the Hell Ming Home Game. Thanks to the creative minds and special appearances of Jeremy Finch and Jacob Kennedy. Hell Ming is a proud member of Legion Podcasts. Check out all the great shows at legionpodcast.com. Hail Ming is available on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and Legion Podcast. This is Dan Pardo saying good night. I'd say the first reason and the best reason, maybe even the only reason, is Detective Dick Dirkler. I think it's Detective Dick Durkin. And <laughs> Detective Dick Durkin. <laughs>
Okay, so once again, my reason for <laughs> my reason for watching this movie is Detective. <laughs> Oh, that's going to make the outtake. We are going to empty your memory.